0: into mindset shifts that give you the power to decide how you feel, not the media, not your past and not social conditioning. Then you'll discover how to use this inspiration and this new sense of confidence to be the best you, the you that you are meant to be. So get ready, my friend. It is time to get awesome inside out. Hey there. Thanks so much for tuning in to another interview episode on the awesome inside out podcast. I cannot thank you enough for joining me today and being here part of this incredible movement of individuals all over the world ready to upgrade their health, their well-being, and their life. If you enjoy this conversation, the absolute best way that you can always support is by leaving a five-star review, subscribing, or sharing on social media, or with the people that you love. It would mean the world to me for others to have access to this powerful content. So thank you so much in advance also make sure to stay till the end as I'm going to offer you some applicable takeaways and actionable steps based on the conversation today to implement this week. All right, so let's dive in. Often we carry stories of why we can't be healthy or happy in our own bodies. And these stories are conscious and unconscious. These stories become part of who we are, our identity, and then impact how we relate to others and the world. But if you could wave a magic wand and be able to choose what stories you operate from and how you truly want to feel, live, and be in your body every day, what would you change? Do you believe it's possible to fall in love with your body and surrender to your body's magnificence? This week, I feel so incredibly lucky to be able to sit down with my dear friend, Beate Simkin, world-renowned meditation teacher, author of Don't Just Sit There, and speaker, who is often referred to as the David Bowie of meditation. Biet was raised by a shaman in New York City, and after losing several family members, including her four-month-old daughter, to SIDS, Biet fell into patterns of drug use and addiction. But through consistent meditation, she returned to her roots and decided to reconnect with her spiritual upbringing, freeing herself from addiction. Through meditation and cultivating deep self-awareness, she was able to heal deep, unimaginable trauma and transcend her past and discover such beauty and joy in her life. And today, I've asked her to share her perspective on how each and every one of us can embrace a deeper relationship to ourselves, while also sharing her powerful, unique, and courageous approach to cultivating body love, healing her relationship with food, and stepping into a more aligned self rooted in self-love. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here today. I'm so grateful to you for our friendship, for the love and the light that you bring to my life. And just honored to have you here today for this beautiful conversation that I trust we're going to have. Same. So good to see you and I love you. Thank you for just always showing up in such presence i think that that's the thing i've admired so much about you since the day we met and i don't even remember that exact experience but i remember the experience of you coming over and just playing with my dog with such presence oh. and like always being around me with such presence and just i knew that if i was in conversation with you you were only there like you were in that conversation you were in that moment um and you are that way whether you're teaching meditation or singing or Reading a part of your book, or you know, doing poetry, whatever it is, it's just like you're there, and I do admire that about you. And it's been something that I have had to learn very gracefully over the past, you know, few years of like really being present to the people that I love. So thank you for that. And and I'm just excited today to dive into your story, which I'm still learning about. Right before this call, we were diving into parts of your story I didn't know, and so I kind of wanted to start there. I wanted to start with this fourth way wisdom that you learned about and how you're bringing it to the world in a sexier, modern way and your history and your past and your growing up. It's just such a profound story. So if you don't mind, I'm sure you've told it many times, but I would love to give the audience some background.
1: Sure. You know, I'll tell my story and I think it's important, even though there was a point in my journey where my story, it was like the Holy grail. Like I was like, okay, someone just give me a fucking opportunity to tell my story. And I just was like feeling myself, you know, I was like, finally, because, you know, I grew up really poor and I grew up in kind of like, what do you call it? Like a tenement part of Queens with a lot of immigrants. My family had just immigrated from Russia a month before I was born. My parents both had two jobs. My grandparents watched us. It was like government cheese was being delivered to our house. Like we were really broke and we were immigrants. And I was a baby. You know, I didn't know any different. My dad kept saying, you are American. You know, like this was like a really big thing. But like, I don't know anything else but being American. Anyway, all this is to say that when I was younger, I was very ashamed of this. I was ashamed that I grew up poor. I was ashamed that also my I'm going to get to, but my whole family died while I was growing up one by one, starting with my mom when I was six years old. And I used to think that was like super, not a big deal. Like, cause my brother and my, not so much my father, but my brother was like, yeah like get over yourself. Like everyone loses parents. Like it's not uncommon and it's like super normal. And I was always like, I don't, maybe that's true, but like, it feels like crap losing your mom when you're five years old. And so I was very ashamed and I, because I'm Jewish and I'm really well-educated. So my household, even though we were very poor, I was reading like Carl Gustav Jung, Sigmund Freud and Nietzsche by the time I was nine, you know? And so, and we had a grand piano. We lived in the projects with like a grand piano. Like it was just culture clash. It was like super cultured living in abject poverty and everyone's dying and we're constantly at funerals. And um, I was so ashamed that I let people believe the lie. People met me they were like, she's a Jew. She's super smart. She must be rich. And I just was like, I'll just zip Mm -hmm. it and they'll believe what they believe. I'm from the Upper East Side, you know? And then one day when I finally came to terms with, I'm poor. I don't know how to make a living. And it dawned on me through a spiritual work that I was doing, which is this fourth way work, that if I don't come out of the closet, so to speak, about my real truth, that it's never going to change. And I started sharing the truth. I come from poverty. I, everyone died. I have no idea how to make money. I'm lost. And that teleported my career and everything that I do night and day. And I went from being really poor, like the numbers are pretty intense if we went into them, to being wealthy. And, you know, it's a huge thing. And even there was years of getting into that, you know, coming to salons and parties where I was like, is this even really... My life like I used to be so poor and so anyway so that's part of the story but my father was this awakened teacher sort of like Eckhart Tolle if you can imagine literally living with Eckhart Tolle like I would be like oh you know like I really hate the kids at school and he'd be like you know there is no kids at school there is only you and you are the universe. So really, you know, like it would just be like this endless thing. And he taught me hypnosis. We did meditations together from the time that I was in diapers. And and that's how I was raised. And I got really heavy into drugs and alcohol when I was in my early 20s. I got signed to Sony and got like trotted around in limos and all that, but it all went to shit because I'm kind of a drunk and I ruined it all. I'm lucky to be alive, honestly, but I made it out and I got sober when I was 29. And that sobriety piece was because I had been living on ashrams and I had been studying with my father my whole life and nothing was quite clicking. It was this endless string of self-indulgent insanity, which now looking back, I think is awesome, and I wouldn't change a minute of it. Like insane threesomes and drunken, you know, I wouldn't change a second of it now. But I woke up and I was like, "This isn't working. Like, this is not going to lead to a life of abundance and a family and a husband and kids and a career, which I had dreamed of my whole life." And I think many people who are listening to this, some of them already have achieved that, and hey, like, welcome, awesome. And some of them are lost. And they don't know how to attain these things, how to attain whatever dream they have, right? Everyone has a different dream. But I had a dream, real simple. I wanted a husband who was hot. I wanted to make a lot of money. I wanted to be famous. And I wanted to do something I loved for a living that included art and music. And one day I saw myself from above in a meditation using a tool from my book called Divided Attention. And I saw, and I was like, dude, you are a junkie. You're a heroin addict, junkie you're like scraping by, you don't know how to live. And it was in that moment that I woke up and I've never taken a drink or a drug ever again. And to say that my life feels like an acid trip today, like a good acid trip, would not be an exaggeration.
0: I love that. I think most people dream of, right, having those just profound experiences and just the feeling, right? The feeling of life and happiness and joy and love and really being able to experience that love that sometimes we feel when we're we're on drugs. <laughs> so it's a great analogy. When you started doing drugs and started drinking, were you still meditating during that time or you were still meditating? Okay. Yeah. So that so our stories are very similar except I like pushed all the meditation away because I grew up in a very spiritual household. My dad was a public speaker and he taught a lot about spirituality and the mind-body connection. And we two were sitting around the dinner table talking about past life regression and, oh, you must be karmically experiencing this because in your past life you did this. And so when I went out into the real world and people weren't talking that way, I was like, fuck my childhood. And I like pushed it all aside. And then I got really sucked into the drugs and the drinking and all of that. And then I found my way back. But it's interesting that you were meditating through all of that and that kind of pulled you out of it. So that's really beautiful.
1: It was crazy. I mean, I was just a hypocrite more than anything. There was a night I remember where I was on heroin, but my best friend who was an heiress was on crack and she was with her like artsy boyfriend in my living room. And I was like, I'm going to go meditate. and Because I was like judging them for being on crack because I was on heroin, which in my mind was like the more superior drug. And then I went to the bedroom and quote, meditated. And then like, I went back, I, you know, basically went to sleep for like nine hours. And then I came back out and they were like having a massive fight because they'd run out of crack. And my point is, is like, it wasn't quite the kind of meditation that I do and guide globally today.
0: (laughs) And now being this world renowned leader in meditation, bringing this, you know, this fourth way wisdom, I want to dive a little bit more into that because I want people I don't know much about fourth ways. I personally would love to learn more. And I know a lot of people maybe have some misconceptions about it. So can you talk a little bit more about how you're bringing this forward and the wisdom that you're sharing with the world that people are gravitating towards and having these really transformational and profound upgrades to their health and their life because of it?
1: You know, fourth way is enlightenment for the person who doesn't want to be known as someone who's a seeker. So I'm actually out because I'm a fourth-way guide. I'm a leader of this work. That wasn't really my plan. It was the universe's plan. That's how it happened. But the reason I'm here is because I'm supporting people who actually aren't spiritual teachers for a living. Like my clients are famous actors and speakers and leaders, and they're people who are really up to big things in all divisions of the world. And they're not supposed to be out with a bindi and a turban and a this. They're like literally, they're politicians, they're actors, they're living a life that is in Caesar's world, as we call it, right? And so fourth way is about enlightenment that's invisible, right? So when I think of it, a great example would be like Marcus Aurelius. People know him as a contemplative thinker, as a meditator. He was an emperor, for crying out loud. Okay, so it's one thing to be an emperor. It's a completely different thing to be an enlightened emperor. It's one thing to be a president. It's an entirely different thing to be an enlightened president, like Abraham Lincoln was. And so Fourth Way is about that. It's about enlightenment, but you're achieving in the world. You're earning at the highest capacity. You're still completely attached to worldly goods, such as family, babies, pets, and real estate. And you're doing this all, and I depict it in the book on a cross. So you can look at the diorama in the beginning of my book, which is just a cross. And so fourth way is really about the vertical and the horizontal line of life. And the idea is you can go a Buddhist path or like a not Buddhism specifically, but like a monk, you know, in the woods of the Himalayas, give up all your longing, give up all your desires, give up your desire to look hot in a dress at a dinner party. You can give that all up and you can find enlightenment that way. Fourth way is saying our kind of enlightenment, the one we're choosing as fourth way practitioners is the kind where the two worlds collide, the world of the invisible, humility, meaningless, energy, you know, bliss, things that are unquantifiable come into contact with material gain, success, that yes email, that incredible good news that you want and that hot bod you love being in, that's all horizontal plane. So fourth way is saying, yes, yes, yes to both. And you don't need to shut down one to have the other.
0: Yeah. I love that. And I think it's so crucial. So interesting. I'm having a flashback to my childhood because my dad, I don't think there was that integration when I was learning about spirituality. It was very much like you kind of had to give up your material possessions or you had to like. Be in the process of letting go. And there was always the belief around, like, well, your whole life is going to be this process of letting go. So you're not going to have anything that you had before. And so the process of life is letting go. But I love that reframe of just you can have and you can create and you can manifest these experiences and these things that you still can deeply love. And there's no shame or guilt around that. Cause I think a lot of people have the shame and the guilt around it. And so it almost blocks the manifestation because they're like, well, if I have this, then I won't be spiritual or I have this or. I won't have that self-love that I deeply desire.
1: Yeah, people feel that. And they also like to go back and forth, which I think we're going to talk about more in the body piece of this, because we're going to talk about the body shame and body and embodiment. I feel like most people live in a world where they're either highly achieving and they're in a stress-like hyper-sympathetic nervous system state of like winning, killing to win, like doing whatever it takes, which for anyone who's ever tried to win at life, includes tons of losing and tons of like failure and tons of rejection and tons of looking bad. And then the other side is like, oh, you know, and they're like meditating and they're spiritual and they don't, they're not attached. And to me, I'm saying like, as long as those are two separate worlds, you're going to be miserable 50% of the time, which I don't know about you, but those aren't numbers I'm excited about. Like if I only have this many days to spend on the earth, I don't want to spend 50% of them depressed because I got a shitty email or I got rejected or I feel bad about whatever. Biet feels bad about, you know, and Sarah feels bad about her own list of baloney, but it's all baloney, you know? Yeah. yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So it's a powerful way and a powerful reframe. And I'm curious like what the misconception is with enlightenment. Like I think when people believe that I'm just Speaking out loud, like just walking through this as I think about it. But I think people think that as they get to enlightenment, they're going to be more fulfilled with happiness, joy, love, creativity, inspiration. Like all the things are just going to flow into them as they dissolve their material possessions. But what's interesting in the way that you're reframing it is like, what about just having that now with all the things? You know, like let's just create those feelings today and have those experiences now and get to show up and embody those expressions of life without having to wait for them. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the body piece too, because this is something you and I jam about a lot kind of back and forth. I know we both have struggled with it. I know that from my experience, it's Always evolving. And it's something that I, you know, it's definitely, I'm no longer in the eating disorders, but I definitely, there's days where I'm like, okay, well, I'm noticing it's creeping back in and I have to do some work around this and I have to confront this and I have to really be with it and feel into what this experience is. And so, can you dive a little bit into your, yeah, your experience with food and your body? I know you've been sharing a lot. And then also the piece of which we've been going back and forth on like, how do you just be with it? Right. And how do you feel it, regardless of what it is that? Showing up in the experience.
1: Oh my God. It's just brutal, right? For anyone who's listening, who's like still in the body crap. And I, like you said, you're still alive, you're still breathing. So you're still interacting with some of these old thoughts. It's very different when you're interacting with them from a place of having practiced several tools that are actually effective towards mindful eating, right? Uh, for an extended, and I say extended, like, Whoa, period of time. Like, I just, I kicked heroin in two days. You know, I kicked bad men just like that. I kicked being poor 90 days. Like, so I read all these books about law of attraction. I followed every, you know, direction to a T and everything in my life transformed except the body and food piece. And I was like, Wait, what? Like, how about the, wait, I'm not, and I applied the law of attraction to it. I applied uh, life coaching techniques to it. I applied like the Tony Robbins, like hardline masculine techniques to it. And none of it worked. All of it worked for like three months or two weeks or whatever, but none of it worked sustainably none of it was able to sustain me and so what I realized for me was that I was hiding something there was some things not that were being kept secret and you and I have met when I was in the throes of this and not to mention that I was already a famous like meditation guru, I was being flown everywhere to speak and it was a real secret for me like I felt like oh I can't talk about this but it was on my mind, as you know with food addiction and body dysmorphia so much more time than you'd like it to be. Like I would attend a cocktail party and it was on my mind. And the weird thing is, I thought it was the body and food, but it was so much more was on my mind. There was so much on my mind. And you can always know when you meet someone who has it because they have this look on their face, like they're just like in hell. Like you're like, what's going on with you? But like are you in hell? And that's how I felt. And I was like, people must know because our bodies are organisms that communicate on a telepathic level. And so I knew people knew, but I still wasn't able to come out of the closet about this piece. And so I started doing the intuitive eating journey about three years ago and I was on it. But the whole time I was on it, I was like, I am going to get this fucking thing. I'm going to fucking figure it out. And when I do, I'm going to come down the holy high mountain in my bikini and everyone's going to be like, how did you do that? Oh my God, you look amazing. Like I was just waiting for this day to come and it never, ever came. It kept being the same back and forth, gaining 10 pounds, losing 10 pounds, gaining 10, whatever. Restriction, permission. you know, And I'm also, I felt like, like an alien. And I think it's important to speak about this because I'm not in my throes of my disease, in the throes of my overeating, I am about 10 pounds overweight. What does that even mean? And so whenever I would speak about it, people were like, you look hot. Like, you look amazing. You look like Rihanna, this and that. And I always felt like I was bad or wrong to want a body that felt good to me. Even my husband was like, "Yet, like you're happy all the time. And sometimes you eat a pizza. That's your big problem. And I was like, I was dying inside. And even he couldn't see it. He was like, you look hot. You eat pretty normally. I don't get it. I'm just not getting it. And so I felt like there was so much against me. And so I went on the journey. I did all the tools, right? So let's mention them, right? Chewing, pausing, breathing while I ate, trying to eat mac and cheese pizza and cake and dessert whenever I felt like it, which was quite often. Gaining 15 pounds, which is or some people gain more, but for me, that's like as much as I can eat, I guess. And feeling like total garbage, feeling depressed, feeling fatigued, feeling annoyed, and feeling like it would never end. And in the midst of that, doing... Anger meditation, doing body grounding techniques, stomping my feet, trying hypnosis, trying. There's like a muscle release technique where you like release trauma from your body by shaking. I did that. I did everything and it wasn't changing. And one day I finally just came out of the closet about all of it on my social media, which I thought like everyone's gonna be like, who is this woman? I've been reading her books. I'm like obsessed with her. And now, F this chick, like she's like struggling like I am with food and body. But something happened where when I shared it, those three years of intuitive eating study clicked into place. And I saw that my eating disorder and my body dysmorphia had nothing to do with food or body. It had to do with two key pieces one, judgment, judgment of myself, petting myself against others in the world to see how valuable I was, and judgment of myself, tearing myself to shreds, saying that I was disgusting, that I was ugly, that I was short, that my nose was too big, that this, that, that. And judgment of others as good or bad. So like looking at the world and being like, that person's a loser and that person's amazing and I'll never be that cool, that whole thing. So that was the first thing that kind of got disintegrated when I shared it. And the second thing was realizing that my body had a voice. And I had not been listening to her because I was so busy listening to the noise of society telling me I'm not supposed to be waif thin because that means I have a disorder and I'm good when I'm Marilyn Monroe hot because that's healthy. And as soon as I asked my body, I said, body, what do you want? And She was like, I want like very little food and I want to do Pilates like six days a week at least for like a lot of time, like 45 minutes. And I want to really hurt when I exercise, I love it. I want to sweat and then I want to dance and then I want to fuck and I want to feel my pussy. And I was like, what? Like, (laughs) I was just like, wait, what you want, what? Like I could hear her. So the next time I went to go do Pilates, it wasn't like, you're going to do this, even though I didn't want to. That whole feeling of like drag off to the mat and being like, I fucking hate society. And if only they'd let me eat mac and cheese and just be a big like Jabba the Hutt and leave me the fuck alone. That feeling. Instead, I was like, oh, my body wants Pilates. And I could hear her and I was like, honey, I'll do that for you. Like it felt like service to her Mm -hmm. rather than this like masculine fight to get to the promised land of this hot bod that was going to make me superior to other people, which was really my aim in the end was to finally be superior in a life where I felt inferior
0: for so long. Oh my gosh. I just have chills. I have tears. I have it all. (laughs) (laughs) Because I do think it takes that moment, right? That moment of, I think for me, it's like deeply surrendering, accepting There's a surrender and acceptance piece too, that I can't change my body to reflect someone else's DNA. And my body's going to have a very different voice for what it needs than most other women. And yeah, I just love what you reflected. I think it's so powerful and so true. And when you actually begin to hear that voice. I'm curious what that process has been since then for you in terms of checking in and listening, and then also how to know that it is actually your body speaking to you. Because I think people get confused too once they start to go inward and connect to that inner awareness the confusion between the mind and the body speaking?
1: You know, it's been pretty easy ever since, to be honest, but it's very simple now. Whenever I'm feeling like I need to eat or I'm having a thought, oh, I want to snack on something or I feel myself mindlessly like in a fog heading towards the refrigerator, I sense something different. Before I used to fight with that and be like, how could you? You have no willpower, blah, blah, blah. Today, I'm just like, oh, what's going on? And I just sit down, I deep breathe, And I talk to her and it's always real simple. It's always like I'm unhappy with the COVID situation and like the endless difficulties of that within the home or I'm frustrated because something's not going my way with business or I'm bored, that could be a thing. And these are all things that I used to think Also, we're very shameful. Like, I'm not allowed to have these kinds of difficulties. I'm supposed to be the superior being who at all times is like floating around being like, you know, Yoda. And it's also what we've been fed. Yoda is Yoda. And C-3PO is C-3PO. And I remember having this moment where I was like, I don't want to die like C-3PO. Like die, meaning like the moment of my death. I don't want to be like some fizzy nanny, like screaming on a plane, being like, oh no, oh no. Like I was so worried that that was what was going to happen. And the truth is, is like, it was the moment I surrendered that I was like, I may die like C-3PO because shit, I am C-3PO some of the time. I'm not Yoda a hundred percent of the time. And as soon as I let that be a part of me and was like with the C-3PO of me, and with the Han Solo of me, and with the Princess Leia of me, and like with all of them, because before it was all like all Yoda all the time, which is a show. It's just not really how it is. And then the the next thing I'll say is the other night I did kind of go in a coma. I fell asleep with baby cashed in the crib, which I woke up and I was all, you know, when you cracked out because you took like a 10 minute nap and your body's all like disoriented.
0: (laughs) You don't know where you're disoriented.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I like walked upstairs and without even thinking, went to the cabinet and pulled out some popcorn and started putting it in my mouth followed by some gummy bears. And after about four gummy bears, I was like, yeah what are you doing right now? Like, I was like, what's happening? But it wasn't like the fear. I used to feel so afraid of food was like gonna come and eat me or like make me eat it. It was much more like, you're tired, honey, like go make a tea, go to bed. This isn't a choice you're making. You're literally
0: like hypnotized state. Like an unconscious state.
1: But you know, half a handful of popcorn and four or five gummy bears is a totally reasonable amount of food for me to eat, to awaken to that reality versus what I used to do, which was like, as soon as that popcorn and that gummy bear entered my system, I thought, that's it. Here's my chance. And I would go nuts. I would eat like half the bag of popcorn and like maybe even the whole bag of gummy bears and feel like total garbage. I've never eaten that kind of stuff. And afterwards been like, "Mm, let's have sex, you know, like, yeah. (laughs) I feel I'm feeling really, I'm feeling myself right now. I've never felt like that. Have you? Like,
0: no, you never like wake up and you're like, oh, I feel incredible the next morning from binging, Mm -hmm. you know, at 1 a.m. on three bags of popcorn. No, like, absolutely not. I always come into the awareness of like, how will I feel after and will my body thank me? Like, will my body actually be grateful for how I'm showing up for? body right in this moment and for her. And so that that has been kind of my catch where I'm like, okay, yes, my mind might be telling me that this is what I want or what I need or what I desire. And that's fine. It's okay to listen to the mind. But then when I check in with the body, my body wants something very different. And so I usually tend to veer towards the body, the heart centering in that experience versus the the mind because the mind is going to play tricks on you. It's what it does. Very good at it. It's very good at telling us things that aren't true. And, you know, in the mind's defense, it's often from a survival place or from what it thinks we need to avoid a certain emotion that we don't want to feel. And yet it's often better to just feel and be in the experience of it versus the avoidance. Hey there, friend. Are you loving this podcast? I want to continue to support you. So the simplest way to do this is to head over to sarahannstewart.com and pop into the newsletter. Doing this ensures that you never, ever miss any details of our new projects, products, upcoming events, or issues that are near or dear to my heart. You're also going to get access to the movement. This is the inner circle of people just like you standing in their power to bring more truth, and a new level of consciousness where all individuals get to live a diet-free life in a body that they love. So pop on over to sarahannstuart.com and subscribe, and I'll see you on the inside. I'm curious for you, like moving into the, even with COVID, because I know that we talked a little bit about like gaining weight during COVID. And the experience of that. And like, it was something that I felt so much shame around Mm -hmm. and so guilty for. Like, I was like, how did I allow myself? To get here, how did I allow myself to be in the experience of, you know, neglecting my body, allowing myself to gain weight, decreasing energy? Those sort of experiences, and I know that you've had similar experiences during 2020, which it has been has been a ride. What are some practices that you do? And I'm curious too if there's any other practices that you feel called to share that are really great for the food and the body relationship to self. Is that a forgiveness practice for you? Is it just meditation? Is it visualization, affirmations? Like what are the things that you use that there's so many things, right? That people recommend. And like you said, a lot of them didn't work at first or they weren't working. And so what does that look like for you now and in terms of your experience?
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, the first thing I'll say is secrets, like telling on yourself, like I've known you for a few years, right? I've never told you that I've always been jealous of your body. Like when I look at your body, I'm like, that's the kind of body I wanted. Why has God forsaken me? All this stuff, you know, and to be able to say that today and not, first of all, I'm not worried because I'm not like, oh, she's going to be like, ha ha, (laughs) because I used to think everyone was just trying to one up on me. And, and two, it's like, I have always dreamt that in my most embodied state, I am actually even slimmer than I am right now. I've been kind of in the movement coming out of, like I said, gaining a bunch of weight from learning intuitive eating, which, you know, is a practice of like trying stuff, you know, it's very experimental. It's like your body is this. Experiment. So, for anyone listening, I would say your body is your experiment. You need to be a scientist with it. And even if that means making mistakes, some intuitive eating or mindful eating teachers will give you a plan, right? And so, I think that's super helpful. But what helped me actually was going down into hell with letting go of the plan and letting myself really eat foods that I had been vilifying for my entire life, such as mac and cheese, pizza and pastries and croissants and cakes like those things were so dangerous even though I ate them because my history as a food problem person was a permitter I ate Mm. them with a state of Jesus I mean it was it was like you know whatever like those Christians that like (laughs) slash themselves on the back with a whip like to in the name of God it was like that you know. So I would say that telling on yourself, being really uh, brutally honest about your lies and your truth is a really good practice. Another practice that I have found really helps is a tantric practice of touching your body and getting really into a feminine space, which I was always very averse to. I'm very masculine. I'm a thinker. I prided myself my whole life on being such an intellectual. And like, it took me so much, like, even touch my own body or touching, touch in general felt so vulnerable to me. It's something I only Mm. did with my lover. It's something I only did at certain, even it was just so vulnerable. If a girlfriend touched me, I was like, like I would go into like just hyper crazy state. So touching your chest, your belly and a mantra that was taught to me by my friend, Stephanie was just, I am safe. I am safe to feel all of my feelings that's it just that sentence i am safe to feel all of my feelings and then deep breath and release and what that helped me by doing that over and over was it led me to grief so i would say that my daily grief meditation what i do is it and this is taught to me by my friend cassie by the way another thing that i had to do was again i'm this great guru everyone I know looks up to me, looks to me as someone who has no problems, blah, blah, blah. And I had to come down from my Holy High Mountain and be like, hey, I don't fucking know what the hell's going on with this food body stuff. So can you, like everyone, I went to everyone. It was like, what do you know? Like, tell me what you know. And it was so humiliating because it was like, these were people who were like, But yet, you have this hot bod and like you're this big figure and what? So that helpful. So my friend Cassie taught me a grief meditation, which was 30 seconds. You just feel your grief. You find it in your body. You ask your body, where in my body is my grief? And it might be in your throat. It might be in your chest. It might be in your belly. I don't know where it is. But for me, it's often in my throat. Sometimes it's in my heart. And you feel it and you just let yourself feel it for 30 seconds. And her advice was to have an enlightened guru like Jesus or Buddha or Krishna or whatever holding you in their benevolent arms while you let yourself fully grieve. And sometimes tears will well up, whatever, but doing this every day for 30 seconds a day. So that, when I started doing that every day, what that led me to was a connection to what the problem had been all along, which is I have been afraid of death my whole life. My mom died when I was six, her mom died two weeks later. Everyone dropped dead. My dad dropped dead when I was 28. I had a daughter who dropped dead and was in my arms dead, a baby, a real child. And I have faced death again and again and again. I want it for anyone listening at home who has not endured seven billion traumas like that. I don't care who you are, you were born. And because you were born, I know you suffer from this predicament, which is that you are gonna die. I went to a meditation. A workshop with Janine Roth, who is this intuitive eating guru. And she had us do these eating meditations. And I wept through the first one, just wept because I could sense that the way I eat and the reason I eat is to stave off the reality that I am going to die one day. Like the food in my mouth is quelling that understanding. And when I let myself have this grieving meditation, I saw that I'm not going to die one day. I am dying right now. If I'm using food, of course I'm going to use it right now because I'm dying right now. And if I let myself, if I just let myself die, if I let myself feel how sad that is, that this body is no more, cash is going to die one day, my husband's going to die one day, and the skin and these eyes and this moon that I see and this world, all gone. And if I can be with that tragedy now, because it's happening now, everyone thinks it's going to come one day. I don't know when, but it's coming. It's like, it's fucking happening. It's been happening since you were born. It's been rolling out. It's been rolling like a wave. And as soon as I could be with that death and just be with it, I became alive. And I was like, oh, this is what life is. Like Life is just being with your imminent, Perpetual death. So, whenever I want to eat or I'm trying not to feel my grief or my sadness or my discontent or my dissatisfaction or my boredom, it's because I don't want to die. And if I don't want to die, shit, I ain't going to live.
0: Right. Oh my gosh. I think that there is so much truth to what we're currently experiencing. Right. And I think that's why so many people are turning to food right now more than ever because culturally in America, we we avoid death. Like we don't talk about it. It's not part of our dinner conversation. It's very much, I even recognize this, even with nursing homes. And as people get older, it's like, as I have volunteered more for different aspects of elderly care, and as I've had to witness my dad's health declining, I've noticed a lot of people just drop their parent off and then they leave and they like barely ever return because they're so scared to face that death because it's part of their own fear, right? And so we even see this with animals, like the amount of animals that go back into the shelter right before they're about to die because people don't wanna to have to face the fact that they have to put their dog down or their cat down or their animal that has been part of their life. And it's just, it's heartbreaking. And it's, it's something I think we have to confront where it's like, you're absolutely right that if we don't confront this part of ourselves that is so fearful of leaving our bodies, then we're not living in this moment. And how often are we using food to avoid that very fear? And, you know, for the listeners who are part of this conversation and are here, I would just ask you to get curious about that's part of your experience now, whether it's about death or something else, right? It doesn't matter what it is you're avoiding. Most often when we're using food in a way that is unhealthy or not in aligned with our highest well-being, it's because we're wanting to avoid part of ourselves we're not willing to look at. So thank you for sharing that. And I just want to reflect back to you. It's so interesting that you shared the jealousy component because I have looked up to you and Emily Fletcher and been like, I will never be like a meditation teacher like them. Like I will never be able to hold space like them. And, and I'm like, if I could just step into just a little bit of what they offer the world, And so I've witnessed my own jealousy components and the comparison model and all of the things. And I think it's really beautiful. I was reflecting to a couple of friends on a trip last weekend, how I've had jealousy of their partnerships or jealousy of the, the families they've created or their children and that dynamic. And I think it's so beautiful when we can just speak that truth.
1: So good. Especially when there's no agenda, like I'm not like, or also there's no consolation. Like the friend doesn't go like, Oh no, no, no. Like, you know, it's like, it hasn't, doesn't matter. Like there's no, so what? And there's no, like, there's nothing to fix. I think is another thing. That's so nice.
0: Oh, I'll witness you in it. And I'm here to hold space for it. And, you know, I'm not going to play into that story and I'm just allowing you to to express and be in it. And I think that that's such a beautiful offering as a friend. And I think if you can hold space for someone else who's in that, it's such a beautiful opportunity to, like you said, once it's out there, you no longer have the shame. I think part of it is that we're addicted to the shame experience of hiding behind whatever it is that we're in and fuels part of it as well. And once it's out there, it's like, oh, there's no more shame. So I guess it's out into the world and finally move through it. I've heard a lot of people heal multiple different conditions once they publicly share once they're out there and sharing. And it doesn't mean you have to share in the trauma, but I think it is appropriate to share with people you trust and love that you are going through certain things. So yeah, so, so powerful. Man, I'm just like in this, I'm like, where do we go from here? This is just so beautiful. (laughs) I know we just died. We just confronted our own mortality. Um, let's talk about your book because I know people will love your book and definitely I'm gonna put it in the show notes, make sure people get it. But, um, but let's talk about why you wrote it, why it's different than other meditation books and some of the tools and practices in it that people can really use and implement in any area of their life, whatever it is that they're going through.
1: You know, I think it's a It's important. We talked about death. We talked about dying. It's important to talk about life. What does it mean to be alive? it means to me, it has always meant to become, to truly become myself. And I think that the ironic part was as I was on this journey trying to become myself, and effectively I was in many ways myself already. I had fashion sense that seemed attuned. I had integrity. I had a lot of things going right. Something was missing in being myself, which was that I wasn't willing to confront the bottom part of my triangle. Like, you know, in the Star of David, there's the upper triangle, which represents this spiritual awakening and this higher plane. I was cool with that. I was fine with that. And also like that I'd been grown up marinating in it, you know, but the bottom triangle, you know, of the Star of David represents like being human and earth and earth elements and groundedness and... You know, ironically, the grounded element, if you think about the sex center, the sex center in the body is the underneath the belly, it's the second chakra. But the first chakra is the root chakra, which is right where your pussy is, right? So it's kind of like, I was always very confused by that. I was like, but if my sex center is in my belly, why is my root chakra in my pussy? Like, I just, you know what I mean? Like, I was just really confused. And to me, it's really been a journey of getting in touch with that organ that throbbing, yearning, desirous organ, which for us is a vagina, but for men is a penis. But to me, it's kind of the same, same in the sense that they're both alive. And it's the most alive part of us, if you think about it. It's so on the outside. I mean, probably our heart would be most important, right? It functions everything. But that throbbing aliveness is, I think, what we're looking for in life. And no one ever taught us that to be inside of that throbbing aliveness, we'd have to get uncomfortable, that we have to accept that discomfort, death, pain, shame, you know, annihilation of our ego, feeling bad, being rejected, whatever it is for us is a part of it. In fact, for me, like cellulite as a perfectionist, and I have cellulite, like I was just like that should, God has forsaken me. And to me, like as soon as I started seeing that my cellulite, as well as all of my failures and all of my shortcomings and setbacks were my gold, that if I could go into that gold, into the stuff that I was so against inside of me, and also the stuff I was against outside of me. Look at all your judgments that you have about other people. Go in go call that person, have a date. Like you are so wrong about, not you, but like people are so wrong about what they think they hate. So back to the book. The book is, it's almost like a tarot deck. So like you can open to any page, like this is the law of desire, right? And it's broken up into 44 laws. And I chose 44 in the work that I teach fourth way. There's 48 laws. So I cut out some of them, I added some new ones in. I mixed it up a little because some of them are so esoteric. My aim is to connect with everyone. I didn't want to alienate anyone. So I took stuff out that was like way woo-woo and I, I just put in the stuff that really worked for me. So here's like the law of identification and you can just read it like a tarot deck if you want. You just turn to a law and let it guide your day. Why is my book different from everyone else's book? Because I'm different from everyone else. If you love me and you want to fuck me, buy my book because my book is the best it's about as close as you're going to get if you're listening to this podcast (laughs) because i'm probably only fucking my husband for the rest of my life so i really think that any book i've ever read you know rich from richard broadigan's and watermelon sugar to you know the dao de ching like has been my way of falling in love with person or people who wrote that book because we are when we come into a state of being like Shakespeare, we reverberate out a ripple effect of effect, right? So I'm gonna affect the amount of people that I'm meant to with this book. And it's like a frequency, you know?
0: Yeah. And I believe that we co-write our book with everyone who's reading it that needs it. Like I believe that this is a very esoter or belief. But I just believe that like as you're writing this expression out into the world, it's like all of those people are just waiting in, you know, in the timeline of life. And I don't believe in time. So it's like, they're just catching up to like the book that's waiting for them in their hands. And that's why I think it's so beautiful. It's like when you're ready and you're willing and you're open to whatever it is that you're again, ready to step into. And I think that so many people on this podcast, they're here because they want to change their relationship with food and their bodies. I just believe that your approach and the way that you write and you speak and you talk and your presence offers something so uniquely different. And I'm just excited for people to get to know you and love you and learn about you and learn what you're teaching and all the things. Because yeah, there's just been so much reflection, even as I witness you sharing about <laughs> your issues with food and body. It's like, oh, wow, I'm I'm learning just from you being vulnerable. It's something I can take on and play with and express differently and try on and see if it works for me.
1: You want to hear something really crazy? Yeah. So the last chapter in my book is called, you and I, we wrote this book and it takes a piece of the Tibetan book of the dead, Mm -hmm. which describes exactly what you're saying and talks about how that the yearning, like, okay, so Shakespeare, he describes in this book that I quote, Shakespeare didn't write. Shakespeare's work, the millions of people whose lives have been affected by Shakespeare in the future, the longing, the creations of the on stage performances, the films, all went trickling back into time, right? Because I don't believe in time. I do believe it runs in all directions. And the Tibetan Book of the Dead describes this it says it runs in both directions. So, really, who wrote the book? Was it The millions of people who performed Shakespeare and loved Shakespeare and lives were transformed by Shakespeare, or was it Shakespeare? And he says in this book, oh God, it's so delicious. He says that all this millennia of delight and deliciousness with Shakespeare's work flows into Shakespeare's pen and writes itself. And if you think about creation, anything you've ever written, anything you've ever done, it does feel like that. It's happening to you. Like it's almost like you're possessed. So to think that you're possessed by everyone whose lives you'll touch in the future, and it's all falling backwards into you.
0: Oh, oh my gosh. It's so beautiful. And I think about that too sometimes when seeing or, you know, offer a meditation, it's like how many people get to witness that? And then it's just part of their experience that goes on forever. How many times do they share, you know, share a poem or share something you wrote, or it's just, just such an incredible thing to think about. The influence. And that's why right now, more than ever, it's important for us to never forget the power of voice and the power of being vulnerable and the power of sharing because we just don't know who out there is going to rewatch that one clip we posted on Instagram or that one thing we shared. Or, you know, it's just so, so important right now, more than ever, to be that voice. And I think what's exciting is people are being more vulnerable and using tools like meditation and grounding techniques and these different things that you talk a lot about, they're able to manage some of the backlash. I think before there was a lot of fear around sharing. And now it's like, okay, well, we have the tools and the the ability to share, but still be grounded in our truth and trust that we're sharing from our own place of authenticity with no agenda and really just to support and help other people. And that's one of my biggest missions right now is just to continue to allow people to show up and to share because through that, we're going to change planet and hopefully humanity for the better with everything going on right now. So yeah. So I want to ask, like, where can people find you? Where can they get your content? What are you offering right now? I know the last time we had dinner, you were talking about doing a course. I don't know if that's out yet. Like what is happening in 2020? (laughs) I
1: know. I have this book. So definitely grab a copy of Don't Just Sit There and A great way to connect with me and watch my content is at Guided by at Instagram, all one word. And I don't have the course yet, unfortunately. It's been a kind of a conundrum with, you know, I've been a nomadic since 2020 started. My house burnt down in LA, which, and then it's just been a kind of nutty year and then the quarantine and having a new baby. But I will, of course, eventually come out with a course. And I think that's going to be super helpful because I have very few private clients. So. It's very important that, A, if you want to be my private client, of course, reach out. But if you can't do that at this time in your life, the course is coming. And if not, that the book will do you good. And Instagram, because I really do just kind of share my shit on there. And I think that is how we learn
0: best. Yeah. And I love what you share and being so vulnerable on Instagram. And I think Instagram's a great way. I mean, as much as social media has backlash, I also think it's like getting your daily dose of inspiration. And I always feel like whatever I'm seeing, like I just trust, I've set a very clear intention. Like whatever I'm seeing on social media is what I'm meant to be seeing. And I've just set that intention of like, this is what I need to hear and see today. And it's been really interesting since I've set that intention what's being reflected back is really in alignment. It's like pulling a tarot deck heart. It's like, this is what I need to show up. Granted, I'm very careful about who I follow and I always make sure that they're in alignment, but I'm using it more as like an inspirational experience than this comparison jealousy trap that so many are in. So I just offer that to the listeners as a beautiful way to rethink social media. But yeah, thank you so much for being here. I trust So many people are going to get your book and follow along. And I'm excited for your course. I will be one of the first people to purchase it once it's out. (laughs) I'm really excited. Sure. We can just hang out too. Yeah, we can hang out. But I also just love learning from you. So I'm excited about that. And yeah, excited for all the things to come. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I'm so grateful. Thank you. Wow. What an incredible conversation. I hope you enjoyed hearing about Biet's journey as much as I did. The power of meditation never fails to amaze me, and I trust that this conversation gave you some motivation to begin a practice or to continue to deepen your practice. This week, I encourage you to begin to take notice of when you may be jealous of other individuals and when you might notice jealous vibes sneak into your awareness. As Biette shared, often when we can speak our truth and share our truth, the guilt and shame beneath the truth can then dissipate. Begin to pay attention to the opportunities that you are given where you feel safe to share in your truth without the need for any validation, but just to free yourself from the holds that jealousy has over you so that you can then access your own self-love. If this feels challenging for you at this moment, start slowly, just noticing the opportunities where you become jealous and then journaling on what healing opportunities are available through letting these feelings go. Over the next month, notice how the awareness and presence of this feeling can create massive shifts in your life by, again, allowing yourself to release these feelings. I trust you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. It was a conversation I believe that we can all benefit from. Now, before you go, maybe you're struggling to tune out others' opinions and honor your inner guidance. Maybe you need a community that supports you on this journey. If any of this resonates with you, I invite you to join the Awesome Inside Out Facebook group. It's a private, safe space filled with beautiful hearts coming together to encourage and uplift one another. And for anyone who is already part of this community, thank you so much for helping us build such a beautiful community together. Also, if you enjoyed today's conversation, I invite you to listen to my solo podcast on breast implant illness, where I cover lots of mindset shifts and tools that relate to the similar topics shared today. Also, make sure to drop me a message on Instagram if you've been listening to these podcasts and let me know what's been resonating. What do you want to hear more about and how can I support you in becoming happier and healthier? You can find me on Instagram at Stewart. and also make sure to let me know what's been working because I want to celebrate you. Until next time, I'm sending you so much love, a massive virtual hug, And I trust that you will have a beautiful and incredible week ahead. All right, that concludes this cast. It is my honor to always be here with you. But hang tight because I have one last thought. You're here right now because you are ready. Because while many of us share the feelings of wanting more, not everyone is willing to do what it takes to get it. But you are here. You are ready. So this is your opportunity now to take what you just learned and implement it today. Make a pact with yourself to put just one thing into action. Just one. Write it down, do it, and share it with me. We are all in this together. Thank you for being here. You too can feel awesome from the inside out.